How's it going, Tessa? Why, hello, Jesse. It's going very well. How are you? Doing fantastic. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Spooky Soup Podcast. Um, how was your Halloween? Oh, man. It was wild. It was so fun. How was yours? Ours ended up being pretty fun. We just had some friends over and ended up playing games. So it's perfect. Yeah. That I gave great. Yeah. I gave away Pokemon cards for trick-or-treaters. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's a good gift. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Were the kids excited? They were. Yeah. We, uh, luckily we have our, a ring doorbell. So we caught like all their reactions on, on video pretty much. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. You I'm have not, to make a compilation of those. Sure. I'm not like Mr. Beast though, who gave out like iPhones for Halloween, but Pokemon cards are pretty cool too. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's just so far up. He's like irrelevant now. So don't worry about it. He's, he's just so up there. He's, he's a, an elite now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, let's dive into it. How many stories do you have for us today? All right. I've got three scary stories for you today. Nice. This first one comes to you from r slash let's not meet posted by bear witness and it's called haven't been camping since. Cool. Uh, real quick before you start, just wanted to get this out there before I forget um, any pictures or anything we um, images we post uh, or have for our stories today. I will post those on our Instagram page. You guys can go check those out there. Spooky soup podcast. And also, if you guys have any spooky, scary, true or not stories, please email them to us, SpookySuitPodcast801 at gmail.com, or DM those to us on our Instagram. You can do that as well. Sorry, go ahead. No apologies necessary, Jesse. Let's hop right in. Haven't been camping since. In May 2009, I had just broken up with my girlfriend of almost three years. We had moved from Calgary to Toronto and we're still stuck living together after the breakup as we didn't know many people in the city yet. Needless to say, the situation was pretty stressful and upsetting. So when a buddy I was going to school with at the time suggested a weekend camping and fishing trip, I jumped at the chance. He grew up in an area about an hour outside of Toronto called Flamborough. It's really beautiful, loads of lush lush forest, farmer's fields, and small rivers and creeks. We decided to camp and fish along a creek called Grindstone Creek. It's close to some wetlands and the fishing is supposed to be great. We ended up setting up our camp in what was probably a farmer's field. I'm guessing it was trespassing on our part, bordered by a gorgeous forest. We spent the evening fishing, shooting, and drinking some quality craft beers. As it got darker, we made a little fire and roasted potatoes and hot dogs. All in all, it was a really good night. We turned in just after midnight. We shared a tent together. My buddy fell asleep before me, and I stayed up playing on my phone until probably around 1.30. I must have drifted off because the next thing I remember was being woken up by a high-pitched yipping type noise. I was kind of groggy, and it took me a moment to fully wake up. The yipping was incessant, and it sounded like a weird coyote. I laid there for a moment, listening, and then started playing on my phone again. The noise was annoying, but I tried ignoring it. It sounded like it was getting closer, though. Finally, it sounded like it had to be no more than 10 feet from the tent. And at this point, I was getting a little unsettled. I've seen coyotes in Calgary before, and I thought of them as pretty harmless. They never looked much bigger than a small dog. What if this one was rabbit or something? 
What if it could smell our food? I have a pretty bad anxiety disorder, so I'm prone to worrying about these types of things. I nudged my buddy to see if he was awake, and he was. The noise woke him up too. We discussed what to do about the coyote, as we hadn't brought anything to scare off critters. Not a BB gun, nothing. Finally, he decided he would shine the flashlight on it and holler a lot, hopefully scaring it off. He unzipped the tent, and I watched him pointing the flashlight out into the darkness. I'll never forget what happened next. His legs suddenly went all wobbly, and he sort of stumbled backwards into the tent. He had a really dumbfounded look on his face when he looked at me and babbled, Uh, it's not a coyote. It's a dude. It's a weird dude. Normally, I would have thought he was messing with me, but I've never seen someone look that scared, and I never want to see that expression on someone's face again, so I knew he wasn't pulling my leg. The weird yipping and howling type noises were still going on, and in retrospect, it really didn't sound like a coyote, but I guess in our groggy states, it was a way for our brains to make sense of it. Anyways, he just kept telling me to look out the tent flap to make sure he's not going crazy. At this point, I was having a full-blown anxiety attack. My heart was racing, but I had to look. So I slowly peeked out the flap and waited for my eyes to adjust, and that's when I saw him. He was standing only a few arms lengths away from the tent. He was swaying a little and wearing a baseball cap. What made it awful though, what was really creepy, was that he was wearing women's lingerie. That's when I knew there was most likely something very wrong with this guy. If the making of high-pitched noises at the stranger's tent in the middle, middle of the night didn't give it away. After I pulled my head back inside the tent, my buddy and I discussed what to do. Finally, we decided to yell at the guy. My buddy started yelling, Excuse me, sir! We're trying to sleep in here! <laughs> the noise stopped. It was dead silent, and that's when we heard footsteps running towards our tent. They stopped right outside the tent, but we didn't waste any time. We started yelling again, Seriously, dude! We have cell phones in here, and if you don't go away, we're calling the cops. With that, we heard him walk by the tent and head off, sounding like he was moving toward the road. Needless to say, we laid awake, petrified, until the first sign of sunlight, then we hightailed it the hell out of there. We discussed our experience on the way home, and we were both pretty embarrassed about how scared we got. It definitely was not manly on either of our parts, I think because we were both ashamed of how we would let some weirdo freak us out so much. We really haven't ever talked about it since that day. So there you go. There's my weird story. I'll always wonder what that guy was doing out there, or what was wrong with him. Sometimes I wonder if things would have turned out differently if we were a couple of girls. I'm not saying he was some serial killer, but seemed like he was testing who was in the tent. Guess I'll never know, and I'm kind of glad for that. <laughs> okay. That was more funny than anything. I don't, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't know how to react to if I opened my tent and saw a dude in women's underwear just, just chilling. Just going, yip, yip. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, boys. <laughs> Well, how do you do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is awesome. that uh, warm in that tent? I'm pretty cold out here. <laughs> oh, gross. Could you imagine? <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> All right. This next one comes to you from r slash scary stories, posted by Bernd Schmidt. It's called, If They Call Your Name, Never Answer. My Aunt Bonnie and Cousin Jedediah lived far out in the country. The first time I'd ever stayed overnight was a long time coming. For some reason, 
Despite Jed and my closeness, there was always a tug and pull between our families. For years, I wanted to sleep over and they denied it. We were adolescents now, and after what happened, I can see why they wanted us to mature a bit. It was early winter. We'd played baseball and shot BB guns in the yards all day, ate dinner, and asked to go outside just a little longer. Bonnie demanded we be back before dark, an understandable demand from a protective parent. But then Jed said something strange. Stay with me. Don't go near the woods. Why? I asked. Wolves, his dad interrupted. Good enough for me. Something about my uncle's voice, however, when he said wolves, sounded more like an excuse than a real reason. I'd never seen a wolf in Pennsylvania. We snuck into the tree line and just threw rocks as far as we could, listening for them to splash in the creek. If it did, that meant one of us had a hell of a throw, and we both wanted to become MLB pitchers. We adhered to the rules, went inside at dusk, and slept through the night, though I did wake up at one point to hear what sounded like laughter outside. The noise went in and out, and I never gave it a second thought, probably just neighbors. I didn't think of it again until we left and drove down the road leading away from the house. I asked my grandma where the neighbor's house was. They own 200 acres on all sides. There aren't neighbors for at least a mile in every direction. I felt momentarily uneasy, but it passed. My Aunt Bonnie was much more lenient the next visit, which was the following weekend. Just be in before dark, we know. Without question, she empathetically stated. We had two hours until dark, when suddenly a warm front rolled in, and an ever-thickening fog came with it. You boys stay in the yard, Uncle Rick shouted authoritatively. You don't question Uncle Rick, a man who regularly handles venomous rattlesnakes with his bare hands. We were playing baseball, and as the formless smock continued to drift across the state, the sound of blaring warning sirens wailed from afar. It's the no-drive siren, Jed explained. Our fogs can be dangerous out here. We still could see within reasonable distances around us. Aunt Bonnie called for us to come in when Jed asked for one last pitch. I threw the ball, and he slugged it far over my head and into the woods. I hadn't thought about the no-woods rule since last time. I guess they assumed we'd comply. We intended to, but my uncalculated, instinctual reaction was to follow the ball, and inadvertently, I sprinted beyond the tree line and into the woods, probably 50 yards in retrospect. The last thing I heard Jed cry out was, No! Night was falling, and I had run so far into the woods, I couldn't see which direction was which as the fog grew dense and ununiform. My line of sight dwindled to 10 or 15 feet on all sides. Greg! Jedediah shouted. But I was busy looking for my new ball, which I swore hit the dry, crunching leaves not too far from me. When I realized I'd never find it, a bothersome reality set in amidst the cacophonous sirens and screams for my name. Greg! Jed shouted once again, clearly emanating from my six. But as I paced in his direction, once again, my name was shouted. From the opposite direction, deeper into the woods. The only thing which caused a chill to run through my blood was that the voice coming from the brush sounded like a little girl. Just as the trees began to crack and settle into the ever-shifting winds, I got a dreadful feeling. Hello? I cried out. Only the sound of crackling, high up in the trees and far away. Hello! I screamed, my tone infused with nervous distress. And then, a rustling 
like leaves dragged upon by something coming at me from just ahead, getting closer and closer. And then spoken delicately like a young child, I heard, Greg? A gentle question, followed by a surreal and horrifying vision. Two bare feet attached to bare legs, hovering just above the ground, toes dragging against the forest floor. Then the sudden thumping of footsteps sprinting at me, attached to a bright light, I was instantly pulled with inhuman strength by a tight grip. It was Uncle Rick. Go back home, he shouted angrily over my head. I was swept away, Uncle Rick urging me to run and not let go of his hand. We broke through the trees and barreled forward through the porch door, and then into the house in a blur. He locked the door frantically. I didn't even know what I saw. You don't know what's in those woods, he yelled at as he shakily fastened the lock and hatch. Turn off the lights. This was the reason, I assumed, for the no rules, no night rule. I wasn't even sure what I saw. Nobody got angry. I didn't even get yelled at. Just got told to go to the room and get to bed. Aunt Bonnie had the expression, not of disappointment, but of concern. Jed looked frightened. We didn't say anything to each other. He went to bed and I got in my sleeping bag on Judd's floor. I couldn't fall asleep, only pondering what it, it was I'd actually seen in those woods. It got quiet for a while, but then I heard it. The same thing from last time. Laughter outside, only it sounded like it was closer in the yard. It sounded like children were chasing each other in circles around the house. It got silent eventually, and it would be a while before I got drowsy, maybe an hour. That's when I heard the sound at Jed's window. Delicate scratches like fingernails. Jed spoke out quietly. Don't pay attention to it. It will go away. I'm not sure what was more unsettling. The fact that Jed had been lying awake in scared silence for over an hour, or the fact that the tapping at the window sounded like a person trying to get our attention, and our room was on the second floor. The next day, on the way home, I began to tell my grandma what had happened until she stopped me. We drove on in an uncomfortable silence as I felt scolded for several miles, and then I finally asked, what was it last night? She took a puff of her cigarette and excelled, blowing it out the cracked window. There are things around those woods that we don't understand. The house belongs to your family, but the forest will always belong to them. And if they call your name, never answer. Ooh. <laughs> spooky. That was awesome. That that one's spooky. Yeah, just the little girl's voice and the feet. Mm-hmm. Hated that visual. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just yeah. Gross. All right, and our last one is also from our slash scary stories. Um, seeing as how Halloween has come and gone, I'm ready to skip past Thanksgiving and just go straight into spooky Christmas stories. Spooky Christmas, I like it. Yep, so here we are. I've got a scary Christmas story for you. Okay, let's do it. All right, and this story is posted by Pewdnator. (laughs) It's called, I answer the letters that children send to Santa Claus, but I started to receive some very strange letters. I checked my inbox this time last year, and it said, you have 63 unread emails. This was going to be a long night, Sure, I love Christmas as much as the average person, and I like earning a bit of extra money, but I still wasn't looking forward to it. It was my job to read each and every one of those emails and respond as if I were the real Santa Claus. 
I also had a small pile of handwritten letters that needed a reply as well. They were stacked up next to me, all neatly tied together with a piece of string. For some reason, I actually prefer receiving the handwritten letters other than the electronic version. It feels more personal, but it seems like most kids nowadays would rather send an email. In fact, I had only this small pile of 12 letters this year. All the others were via email. I began to click through each email, quickly skimming what it was each child wanted for Christmas, before replying that I would try my best to deliver that gift to them. I would always end the email by signing off as Santa Claus before clicking send. Most kids would want the usual presents of bikes, games, or a puppy, but there were also a number of requests that were a bit more unique. One kid wanted a bottle of hand sanitizer, while another wanted a hammer. For the most part, though, it appeared that kids mainly wanted similar gifts. The night was getting late by the time I had answered a majority of the emails. My hand and wrist were beginning to tire, but the thought of earning $3 for each reply was what managed to keep me working. My eyes wanted to close, and so I decided to leave the small stack of letters until tomorrow. I still had a dozen or so emails to complete, but it was time to call it a night. Ding! The unmistakable sound of another new email rang across my small apartment. I knew that I wasn't going to respond, but I wanted to skim read what it said before making acquaintance with my bed. Holly, good work on responding to all those emails tonight. I know it's mentally draining, and I know you are working hard at it, but I just want to make sure you're also replying to the handwritten letters that I sent over to you this morning. Those kids need a response too. Thanks, Michael. I've never met Michael, but when it came to getting my job done, he was in constant contact with me. Michael was a decent boss, but sometimes could be a bit pushy and a tad demanding. I was going to respond to the letters as well, but both Michael and the kids would have to wait until tomorrow to hear back from the fake Santa. I was just about to finish closing the lid on my laptop when I heard another unmistakable ding. Another email had come through. I thought most kids would be in bed at this late hour and not sending a Christmas wish via email. Curious, I flicked my laptop back open and read the new email. The subject consisted of only six words. It read, On the first day of Christmas. Unsure of what this meant, I opened the email and read what was written. It didn't take long to read the words because it was only two sentences long. The caroler sent to me a partridge hanged in a pear tree. I reread the email a couple times, making sure that I had correctly comprehended the message. I knew what was written, but I didn't entirely know what it meant. I sat there, staring at the computer screen, confused as to what this email was about. I didn't have long to be confused though, because another ding filled the silence in the room. I looked at my inbox and saw that another email had just been sent through. This time there was no subject but the actual contents of the email was once again only a few sentences long. The first Noel the angels did slay, the caroler. This email also made mention of the caroler, and I was unsure as to who exactly that was. Maybe just someone playing some sort of prank, but I'd seen enough horror movies to not completely dismiss this. More often than not, things like this turn out not to be a practical joke, and so I was wary as to what was really going on here. I thought it was best to not respond to these emails, but I knew that I shouldn't just delete them and forget about them either. Ding! This time, when I checked the email, it only contained a single sentence, another line from a famous Christmas song. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at my sight, the caroler. 
The caroler signed his name at the bottom of the email again, making sure I knew it was from them, whoever they were. I was starting to feel a strange sense of dread, like my body knew that something was clearly wrong, but my brain was still trying to decipher what exactly. I was definitely concerned by the caroler's use of the word slay. Ding! Ding! There were two dings this time, both of them making me jump slightly in my seat. My eyes darted back to the top of the inbox list, and I saw two new emails had just arrived. The first one read, Bells on Bob's tail ring, making his spirit rise. The Caroler. The second email, also from the Caroler, contained another quote from another joyful Christmas carol. Joy to the world, for I have come. The Caroler. Now, I was worried. Whoever this was wasn't mistakenly sending these emails. This was intentional. They wouldn't accidentally send me five emails, all containing strange versions of carols. Each email seemed to allude to something dark or sinister, which is something that I couldn't ignore. Ding! Rudy the dead-nosed reindeer had a very tiny nose. The caroler. This email was the first to truly dis disturb me. I'm not sure entirely why, but I think it was because it seemed as if Rudolph was purposely changed to another name. This probably meant something, but what that was is still unknown. Obviously, the caroler was trying to scare me, and he definitely knew how to. What scared me most, though, was what if these emails were clues to something? Ding! Hark! The herald angels sing, Gory to the firstborn king. The caroler. I read this email twice before I noticed that it read firstborn instead of newborn, as is heard in the song. I wasn't quite sure what the significance of this change was, but I was certain that it had to mean something. Ding! O come, all ye faithful, dreadful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye, to Beth. The Caroler. Another changed lyric to suit a name. I was absolutely sure that this was on purpose now. This had to mean something. This had to be a clue to something bigger. It just wasn't possible to make this many spelling mistakes without them being deliberate and calculated. I looked around my empty apartment, it was dark apart from the light on my laptop screen, providing a faint glow of light. The darkness no longer felt comfortable, and I needed a proper light source to help calm myself. I needed to be able to see, to see everything that was inside of the apartment, just in case. I stood up out of my seat, and only took one step toward the light switch when I heard another. Ding! I didn't want to look at it. Not until the light was on. I continued to walk towards the light switch while constantly looking through the darkness, hoping not to see anything. I reached the switch, flicked it on, and quickly glanced around the room. It was empty. Only my wardrobe, my desk, and my bed were present. I quickly walked back over to my laptop, but as I did, two more distinctive dings rung out across the room. When I reached the laptop again, I had three unread emails that had just been sent through. I knew exactly who they were from before I looked at them. The first email read, He sees Hugh when he's sleeping. He knows when he's awake. The Caroler. I paused to take in what I had just read before moving on to the second email. Bad tidings I bring to you and your fin. The Caroler. The final email, which was the longest so far, read, And Carol out in the snow, there will be scary ghost stories and tales of the gory Christmases long ago. The Caroler. Three more emails, three more names. 
I waited, watching the laptop screen, waiting for another ding, waiting for another email to pop up, but it seemed like the emails had stopped. I waited for a few minutes, expecting to receive another one, but it never arrived. As I sat in my now well-lit apartment, I felt a chill run down my spine. I wasn't really sure of what I had just experienced or what any of it meant. I just knew that it wasn't something I wanted to be involved with. It was silent and I was listening out for any small noise that I could just in case I heard someone nearby. I had never heard of anyone called the Caroler before and I was afraid as to who or what they could be. Why were they contacting me and why all the cryptic emails? I suddenly had a thought. The letters, the handwritten letters for Santa that I hadn't had a chance to look at yet for some reason, they popped into my mind, and once I thought of them, I couldn't shake the feeling that they might be involved somehow. I looked to the side and towards the bundle of envelopes. I reached out and grabbed the top letter on the stack. I tore it open and pulled out a single sheet of paper that was inside. The piece of paper was only small, and it only had a few sentences written on it in small, incredibly neat handwriting. Dear Santa, for Christmas, I want to be a partridge in a pear tree from Georgia Partridge. I instantly knew then that this was all connected somehow, and I grabbed the second letter. I tore the envelope open, and I pulled out the piece of paper, and quickly unfolded it. Again, there was a small note written in the same neat handwriting as the previous letter. Dear Santa, all I want is to be found in the fields as I lay, from Noelle Dover. I read the letter, then froze. I recognized that name, Noelle Dover. I've heard it before, I swear I had. I just couldn't remember where. Pushing the thought of his name aside, I grabbed the next envelope that sat on top of the pile. The same handwriting greeted me, and it now felt like a taunting manner. Dear Santa, for Christmas I want to sleep in heavenly peace. From Henry Shepard. It then struck me. I remembered how I knew the name Noel Dover. Well, I thought I did, so I went back to my laptop and searched for his name. I was right. I had correctly remembered where I knew it from. Search enters day 12 for missing camper. Missing camper, Noel Delver, has been missing for almost two weeks now. Both police and volunteers have been tirelessly searching ever since it was first reported he was missing. Police inspected his campsite and have today revealed that there is evidence of foul pl play. It is unknown at this time whether there are any suspects that relate to his disappearance. The article continued to explain more about the missing man. But I had enough. I remembered the story from a few years ago. As far as I knew, no one had ever been convicted for his abduction. In fact, I don't think there were ever any suspects. After discovering this piece of information, my mind began to race. Why was this letter sent to me, and why did it reference a true crime? Of course, my brain immediately thought of the possibility that whoever was sending me these letters were involved with his disappearance, but I tried my best to push that thought out of my mind. I know, it was a, I know it was the logical explanation, but the thought scared me too much to entertain it any longer. Out of either curiosity or maybe hope that it was just a coincidence, I decided to search the internet for other names mentioned in the letters, Georgia Partridge and Henry Shepard. I hoped to find that they had not met similar fates. I entered both their names into the search engine, and I didn't like the two newspaper articles I found. Georgia Partridge body hanging from an old pear tree, suspected suicide. Henry Shepard, his dead body was found inside of his home, 
a large hole was dug through his forehead. I was seeing the pattern, which I guess was the caroler's design. The disturbing trend of the names from the letters all belonging to dead individuals was one that I wished I wasn't involved with. I looked around my apartment one more time just to confirm that I was indeed alone. I couldn't make out anything out of the ordinary, just the usual furniture and clutter. I turned back around to face my laptop and the slowly declining stack of letters. I had to know what else was written within those envelopes. Of course, I was afraid to see what else they would reveal, but I just had to know. I also needed to know why they had specifically been sent to me. I pulled the next letter that was resting on top of the pile and opened it. Dear Santa, I want to sing a slang song tonight from Robert Calling, another clue that directly related to the emails I'd previously received. Bells on Bob's tails ring, making his spirit rise. The email that had mentioned Bob rushed through my head. I had no doubt in my mind that if I researched his name, he would be dead. I decided that I didn't really want to know about Bob's fate, so I moved on to the next letter. Dear Santa, I want to hear the angel's voices ring from Joy Gold. I read through this letter once more before tossing it to the side and opening the next one. Dear Santa, I want to meet Slasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen from Rudy Lang. After reading this letter, which also was written in the exact same handwriting as all the previous ones, I turned back to my laptop. I looked back through my email inbox and began to cross-reference the letters with the emails I had been sent. So far, they were all in the same order and each name that was involved in the email was the same name that each letter was from. I guess at this stage, my curiosity got the better of me and I decided to try and find out what had happened to Robert, Joy, and Rudy. Robert Calling disappeared from his home on Christmas Eve four years ago. Neighbors claimed to not see anyone near his house but heard bells at around midnight. Joy Gold was strangled to death in her own home. A long piece of tinsel was discovered close to her body. Rudy Lang disappeared 11 years ago. His body has never been found. All that was ever located was his nose, which was cut off his face and left on the mantelpiece beside a number of Christmas cards. I know at this point I should have phoned the police or phoned anyone, but I guess my morbid curiosity got the better of me. At this moment, I heard what sounded like a slight creak behind me, and I jumped in my seat and turned around quickly, but nothing out of the ordinary was apparent inside of my apartment. I couldn't see or hear anything other than the sound of my own rapid breathing and the loud thumping of my heart. I turned my desk chair slightly so that it, it was angled in a way that meant I could see the door to my apartment and I could still easily reach the letters. Once I was satisfied that I would be able to see anyone entering my apartment, I grabbed the next letter and opened it. Dear Santa, I want to join the Triumph of the Skies from Jacob King. It took a bit longer to find further information about Jacob King, but I did manage to find something, not a newspaper article like previously, but a post on social media by who I presumed was Jacob's mom. If anyone knows where my eldest son Jacob is, I beg of you to tell me. He hasn't been seen by anyone for three days now, and I need to know where he is. If he's with you, let me know. That was all I managed to find about him, but it told me more than enough. He was missing. I looked down at the stack of papers that were left. There were still five envelopes sitting on the desk. No doubt, five more clues about five more people who were either missing or dead. I dreaded opening them, but at the same time, I needed to know what they said. 
I knew that once they were all open, I could take my findings to the police. There was evidence here that all the crimes were connected. Someone knew about them. The caroler knew. I opened the next four letters, one after another, and read what was written in each one. Dear Santa, I want to sing, sing with a choir of angels, sing in execution. From Beth Maid. Dear Santa, do you know if I've been bad or good? Because I've been bad for goodness sake. From Hugh Dancer. Dear Santa, I wish you a Merry Christmas Massacre. From Finn Lord. Dear Santa, can you make it the most sinful time of the year? From Carol Piping. I read through each letter, getting more and more worried as I opened each one. I was worried because I was getting closer toward the final letter, the letter that I really wasn't sure what it was going to contain. I had only received 11 emails, yet this was the 12th letter that I was going to open. I could think hopefully and assume that this envelope actually contained a child's letter to Santa, but hopefully it wasn't something I could be after what I had just read through. I knew that it was going to be another letter from the caroler. I turned my chair back around, sacrificing my eyeline to the door to do so, and very hesitantly picked up the final letter. I read it out loud this time, and the letter was exactly what I feared it would be. Deck the halls with the boughs of holly, the caroler. As I finished reading it, I heard a voice come from behind me, speaking directly into my ear. La 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 Oh! <laughs> Ugh. You guys can't see it, but I was like, I was like cringing my whole body the whole time. <laughs> like, whoa. That was good. Right? That should be a movie. I know. I was reading this and I was like, this is a Blumhouse production. How Abs- is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe like A24 could get their hands on it too. They could do something good. I could see a good partnership here. Oh yeah, for sure. For Jason sure. Blum, Ari Aster, can you get on it please? Thank you. Snap to it. Great story. Great stories. Thank you very much. Okay, well, I'm going to dive right into my story today. In the early 1880s, the Industrial Revolution was booming. Steel was a necessity in America, and the Sloss Furnaces in Birmingham, Alabama, was ready to provide. This plant converted coal and ore from the local area into steel that helped drive what we know as the Industrial Revolution. This steel the plant provided helped create skylines, automobiles, and all types of machinery. It was a place for people down on their luck to find work. However, it led to many of those people to lose their lives in extremely horrible ways. Working the furnaces at the plant was not a fun or easy job. Workers would shovel coal all day and night to keep the furnaces hot. Temperatures would reach as high as 120 degrees, and in the summer, that would be extremely miserable. As an immigrant, one would think it would be great to work at the Sloss Furnaces. They provide work, food, and housing. However, it ended up being quite the opposite. Housing was cramped and very uncomfortable. They would be in their beds, sleeping off the hard day they had, but would be woken but would be woken up by bells and men screaming for them to wake up, get back to work. The hot temperatures, the crammed sleeping arrangement, The poor pay, it just, it was not a fun time. With all that being said, you would think it couldn't get worse, right? 
Well, unfortunately, it could. In the early 1900s, a man named James Slag Wormwood ran the night shift as the foreman. He was in charge of over 150 workers and making sure the furnaces were fed at all times throughout the night. Slag wanted to impress his employers, so to do that, he forced his workers to work more hours than the regular 12-hour shifts. He would wake them up, he would yell for them to get back to work even if they were running on two hours of sleep, and he forced them to risk their lives on the daily. While Slag was the foreman, 47 of his crew members lost their lives in horrible ways. One oh, wow. Yeah, it's a big number. <laughs> One poor soul was on his lunch break. He was relaxing near one of the larger flywheels that was used to power the boilers. For some reason, he leaned in to get a good look, and the flywheel grabbed a hold of his shirt and pulled him right into the gears. His coworkers and buddies had to sit there and watch as the gears kept turning and their friend was grinded down into nothing. I hate that. Clothing and machinery, man. Yep. In 1888, six men were assigned to work the small blowing engine house. For unknown reasons, it exploded, leaving the men completely blind. All six of them, their eyes were completely burned out. Similar to one of our earlier stories, the Fear Factory, men would fall to their deaths into the vats of molten steel, never to be seen again. There was also a silent killer, carbon monoxide. It took the lives of many others as well. Uh, also, due to poor design, the pipes that were built would randomly burst. The pressure built up was plenty to kill anyone that stood in close proximity to them. On September 9th, 1887, Richard Jowers was working at furnace number one. Standing near the top of the furnace, he slipped, and he and the heavy bell he had been preparing to melt tumbled into the molten steel below. There was nothing his co-workers and friends could do to help. All they could do was stand by helplessly as Jowers was incinerated. It is rumored that they were able to remove some of his bones and even his head before the rest of him was lost completely. Gosh. This place was a nightmare. No matter where anyone was, death was right around the corner for those that would take one step out of line. Now, back to the awful foreman I mentioned earlier, Slag. What a name for a terrible person. Yeah, that was his nickname they gave him. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not his real name, but... I was like, how fitting. (laughs) Right. In October of 1906, Slag was on top of the highest blast furnace known as Big Alice. Due to the methane gas that rose up to where Slag was standing, he became super dizzy. Losing his balance, he fell headfirst into the molten pool of iron ore. What didn't make sense to investigators and Slag's superiors was that he never stood on top of Big Alice. He never went there. He had workers to do that for him. So why would he be there? Some speculate Slag's workers just pretty much had enough of his tyrannical ways and they threw him into the molten ore. None of the workers were ever brought to trial. Soon after Slag's death, the night shift was canceled. There's too much going on. Too many deaths. 
It's safe to say 50-plus men had lost their lives to the sloth's furnaces. So, of course, this led to many strange things happening to the workers or anyone who visited. It's as if Slag never stopped his tyrannical ways. In 1926, a worker was injured by an unseen presence. He claimed he was pushed extremely hard from behind, and when he turned to see who pushed him, he heard a harsh and raspy voice say, Get back to work! During further investigation, the man found no one in the surrounding area that have, would that would have been there to push him. He was completely alone. Ooh, creepy. Fast forward 20 years. One day, three of the on-staff supervisors were found unconscious and locked inside one of the smaller boiler rooms. When asked what happened, not a single one of them could tell how it all happened, except that a skinny man who was very badly burnt screamed at them, to push some steel. Like this worker and many others, an evil presence can be felt throughout the factory. Could this be Slag? Does he not know that he's dead, or does he believe that the work is not over? Another wild incident occurred at the plant in 1971. A man named Sam Blumenthal was roaming the factory, taking in all of the nostalgia. You see, he used to be a foreman there before they closed the factory. While walking the catwalk, he was met with the most terrifying thing he had ever seen in his life. A half-man, half-demon came face-to-face with him. The creature tried to push him up the stairs, but when Sam fought back, the, cr- the creature did not like that. He hurled multiple blows to Sam's body, just repeatedly punching him, and then disappeared. Sam went to the hospital, and sure enough, they found that he was covered in bruises all over his body. What the crap? No one can explain what happened besides that. Almost 32 years later, a similar event happened to one of the crew members that now runs the factory as a museum. So out of nowhere, this crew member burst into flames. He was left with serious injuries, but he survived. Uh, He has no idea how it happened. Just, oh, what do they call it? A random, like, human combustion? I guess. Something. Multiple paranormal teams have visited the Sloss Furnaces and very much determined it is a place full of restless souls and evil due to the disregard for human life while it was operational. The paranormal team, known as Fox's Scariest Places, noted that it was riddled with energy and one of the highest-rated places they had ever visited. Another investigative team, known as the Alabama Foundation for Paranormal Research, had this to say. There is no doubt, Sloss is a hotspot for paranormal activity. During our investigations, we pulled data that confirms through our scientific methods and approach that energies are present that cannot be explained. Sloss is one of the most paranormal active places our team has investigated. If you head over to FrightFurnace.com, you can read personal experiences people have had while visiting the haunted factory. One of them sent in from Rebecca and Rob's states, Me, my husband, and two of our daughters went to Sloss today. I recorded from time to time while also taking pictures. I've caught a girl humming on video. The humming is clear with headphones and faint without, as well as groans, psst, shushes, and a yeah to my husband talking. 
also sounded like a scream at one point. The humming is the best audio recorded while shooting video, and I'd like to know if others have heard the same. We'll be going back to record more as well. October 10th, 2019. Another says, I am not a believer in the paranormal. I did, however, attend the haunted walkthrough in October of last year. The walkthrough itself was fun. We went home after, nothing out of the ordinary, right? The day after, my husband told me there was a very dark colored bruise on the back of my arm in the shape of fingerprints. I do not bruise easily. It wasn't there before the walkthrough. I'm still not convinced I had a ghostly encounter, but there's a small part of me that has wondered ever since if maybe it could have been. Am I crazy? Submitted by Kayla. Another says, I was there in 2009. Heard footsteps even though I was the only person there. It was ice cold in the middle of summer. I had multiple batteries die in my camera. As I was walking out, I had the back of my hair stand up and felt like someone ran their hand through my hair. When I got home, I looked over the photos. Right before the hair incident, there was a photo with a purple mist in it. That place freaks me out. Submitted by Lindsay. Uh, Another one says... I used to work for Sloss, and through the month, we saw several things that was just straight-up unnatural. One night, we unexplainably lost power in most of the woods trail for over an hour, and no one could figure out why. This only happened after a customer taunted and called for slag in my scene. Though several times we saw figures moving around through the factory and woods after hours, one night, walking through the tunnels and basement at Sloss, Something grabbed my shoulder and pushed me from behind. We also heard on several occasions voices and strange sounds coming from places that was blocked off to the public. I can tell you for sure that Sloss is haunted and is one of the strangest places in Birmingham, and possibly in the entire country. It's amazing if you can go out there between midnight and 3 a.m. It's an experience like none other. Just be prepared for what you may see, hear, and experience out there. It's dangerous and terrifying, but wonderful in a creepy kind of way. Submitted by Corey. I'm convinced. I mean, I'll go. There are hundreds of reports of spooky things happening at the factory. They range from people being touched and pushed to the machinery turning itself on. Most of the occurrences would happen at night and during the months of September and October. Spooky times for Halloween, right? Well, that was actually when the graveyard shift was up and running. Furnace is currently open for guided tours, so if you ever find yourself in Birmingham, Alabama, go say hi to Slag for me. Ooh. Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. I've never heard of that place before, but that, wow, that's terrifying. I swear I saw like a ghost hunting show. I can't remember if it was Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures, but I'm pretty sure one of them went there. And yeah, you can look up pictures of it. And it's a old rusted factory, but it looks like a parkour person's paradise, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I really, yeah, I would love to go check it out someday. Scary. Yeah. So um, once again, I'm going to post pictures of the factory on our Instagram. So go check it out. And yeah, that's, that's Sloss Furnaces. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our spooky stories today. Um, especially Jesse's story. That was so freaky. We both had some really good stories today. Uh, yours was better. <laughs> I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, do you have anything else? That's it for me. Well, we'll scare you in the next episode.
Stay spooky. Bye.